All right. Uh, for those that don't know, my name is Trevor Allen. I'm the, uh, oh, what's my official title? I'm the church planting apprentice here at Resurrection OC. Basically what that means is I'm here to learn how to plant a church, and then my wife, my two kids and I, we're going to go do that sometime in the next 18 months. So, hey, something to pray about. But I'm so glad to be here with everybody this morning. Uh, Pastor Bryce, he's on vacation this week. So uh, I'll be filling the pulpit this morning. And this is, I'm so excited for this passage. Uh, this is kind of a, you know, an obscure passage. It's, it's Genesis 15, but it's the best passage in my mind. So uh, we've been going through this study of the life of Abraham for the past three weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Bryce, he showed us what, uh, that God called Abraham to get up and to go, to listen to God. God delivered Abraham from this you know, moon God-worshipping pagan family into following the promises of God. Last week, Pastor Bryce preached on remaining and staying and being and resting in the Lord himself. This week, we're going to be paying particular attention to Abraham and his confidence in the promises of God. And as, as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, we, have, we can have confidence and true delight in the promises of God. Uh, but you know, before we go any further, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have called us to be your people. I thank you, Lord, that you grant us faith, that we can't do this on our own understanding, Lord. We cannot make ourselves love you. We cannot make ourselves have confidence in you. We cannot make ourselves right before you, Lord. You're the one that had to do that. I thank you so much, Jesus, for your life and your death and your resurrection, your ascension, your current rule, and your future return, Lord. I pray for your church this morning. Let us hear your word. Let us be strengthened and grow in confidence, not just so that we would be merely informed, but that we would be transformed and that we would be disciple-making disciples wherever you have us be. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, uh, Genesis chapter 15. If, uh, you look in a, if you need a pew Bible, there's little pew Bibles uh, up the rows here. That's page 10. But if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, uh, first book of the Bible, you know, flip there, scroll there, however, whatever verb you have to use. Um, and as you get there, would you please stand with me as we listen to God's word for his church today? I'll read for us from uh, the ESV here. It says this, Genesis 15, chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 15, 1 through 20. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said, Bring me a heifer three years old, 
a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please have a seat. So it's summertime and Right now, I'm teaching my kids how to swim. It's a very frustrating experience, but it is bringing me back to my experience of learning how to swim. When I was uh, in, I grew up in Huntington Beach, and uh, I remember being in these apartment buildings off of PCH, and my dad taught us how to swim. I was uh, four or five, I believe, and, and I just, I remember this, the dread that came over me. This, this dread where, you know, the, the feeling of getting into the pool and you're weightless. Or then sometimes, you know, if you test out yourself and you let go of the side and you sink to the bottom, you quite don't know how to get to the top. I thought for sure this, this swimming learning endeavor was going to be dangerous and it was unsafe and it was nothing for a five-year-old to do. I was very uh, cynical at five. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we went through, I held on to the side of the pool, I, I kicked my legs, I learned how to get that going, I, you know, I did the bubbles, put my head under the water, learned how to breathe out of the side, you know, practiced my arms, did the cups, all these things, right? And finally, all, it was time to put all of these new uh, practices together. I had, I had everything lined up and my dad's like, okay, today's the day. Today's the day that you're going to put all of these things together. And so I asked my dad... If, if I was going to be okay. And he reassured me. He said, yes, of course, you're going to be fine. I'll be right with you. But even then, I, I, I didn't trust that. I was like, but I need you to tell me, I need you to promise me that you're going to be right next to me. I need you to reassure me that you will not let anything bad happen to me. And he simply said, I'm, I'm going to be right there. You're going to be fine. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. And finally, I escalated it one more time. I was like, okay, he can say that from this place of safety, but I need him to put some skin in the game. I need, him to, I need to know that my life is attached to his life, that I have bound myself to him, and he has bound himself to me in safety. So I had my dad take this self-maledictory oath. And you may be thinking, like, what's a self-maledictory oath? This is a self-maledictory oath. I looked my dad in the face, and I said to him, do you cross your heart 
hope to die, stick a needle in your eye that I will be safe at the end of this endeavor. And he reassured me. He said, I will not let you drown. And I cross my heart. I hope to die, stick a needle in my eye that you will be good. And in that moment, my dad bound himself to me because a lot of bad stuff was going to happen to him if I was not safe at the end of that swimming adventure. Genesis 15 is a passage that God takes on a similar curse with Abraham. With Abram at this time. His name has not changed yet. God promises as the great king to the lesser king. He is binding himself to this lesser king. God is saying, I will be your salvation. I will give you security. I will give you human flourishing. All these promises I made to you about having a great name, about having multiple descendants, about possessing a land, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will bind myself to you forever. This morning we're going to focus on the fact that even as Abraham himself had these promises given to him by God in Genesis 15, we are actually inheritors of these promises as well. We as children of Abraham can say with full confidence these promises that were given to our father Abraham who had many sons, we are the ones that are now possessors of this inheritance. We can say with confidence that God has bound himself to Abraham and God has bound himself to me. And so if we were going to take all these you know, things, all these confidence, all these promises, if I was going to boil it down into one sentence, this is the big idea that I want you guys to take home with you this week. The big idea that we can take home and chew on this week as Christians is this that we can trust God's cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye promises. It's silly, it's elementary, but I pray that you remember that. That we as Christians can trust God's cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye promises. And we're going to explore that a little bit more. So uh, if you look with me at verse 1, it says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. So, that's verse 1 in chapter 15. In in real estate, you know, the three most important things, or, uh, uh, you know, location, location, location. In interpreting the scripture, it's uh, context, context, context. So, you can't have a chapter 15 unless you've had a chapter 14. And so, in chapter 14, God actually uses Abram to go rescue his nephew Lot that had been taken captive by these pillaging kings. And so, what Abram does is he takes 318 of his men, and he goes and he rescues his nephew Lot. And he pulls them out of this this kidnap scenario, out of this death scenario. So when God says here that I am your shield... This is not some theoretical thing that Abram's like, okay, that, that sounds cool. Like, I think I could put that on a coffee mug. Abram knows for a fact that God is his shield. And he says, yes, Lord, amen. You've shown yourself to be my shield. But then the second part of that, verse 1, where it says, your reward shall be very great. Now, in, in those days, Abraham, or Abram at this time, was a very rich man. And he kept growing in his wealth. But he was getting older and older. And so as he was getting all these possessions, he had nobody else to give them to. 
It says in verses 2 through 3, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said to him, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. Now, a lot of you weren't here for this, but a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, this in Genesis 12, verse 2, when God promises Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. God promised that. And in order to be the possessor of this great reward, to be the father of this great nation, by necessity you have to have children. But then, in the same way that I was filled with with confidence that my dad had me Abraham can have confidence here that God has him because he's shown himself to be trustworthy and he's shown himself to be true God reaffirms to Abram that this promise and he says this to him in verse 5 and he brought him outside and he said to him look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. When the Lord God, when Yahweh, this promise-keeping God, says to Abram, Go look at the night sky, and such will your children be. This would be an overwhelming thing. Imagine being in this ancient Near Eastern desert with no light pollution, and you look up to the sky, and from one end to the other, back and forward, the stars have enveloped the entire kingdom of the sky. It's not a number of, you know, you can see 4,675 stars at night with the, with the human eye. It's rather a picture of the dominion of these inheritors of the kingdom of God. God is saying to Abraham, with the stars, my promises are true. And we can do that as well. We can say with God, we can trust God's cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye promises when we look up to the heavens too. We can say that we are inheritors with Abraham. It's amazing. In, in uh, verse 6 here, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the promises of God. And he believed the promises of God, not because it was some dumb faith that Abraham said. And he's like, well, I've been going to church my whole life, so I might as well just you know, keep this thing rolling and without really considering, is this right or is this wrong? He saw he had proper confidence. His anchor of the soul was sure and steadfast, like in our call to worship this morning, that Abram saw God working. He saw that he was true to his promises, and that Abram could have real confidence in what the Lord has done for him. It was the Lord who told Abram that he would be his shield. And in fact, in verse 7, it rehearses for us the saving power of God who brought Abram out of this spiritual dead state. Abram not only was saved in this shield, but he was actually brought out of this pagan culture. And it says in verse 7, God rehearses again for him, I am your shield, Abram. I am your reward. He says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God already, I'm sorry, Abram already believed God, but he wanted to know how this was going to happen. And say, when when I'm swimming with my dad in the water, I believe that he can do this, but I want assurances. I want him to tell me, I will put my hand underneath your chest and I'll be right there. And when you start swimming, if you fall, I will pick you up and catch you. I trust him, but I want to know how this happens. 
So Abram asked in verse 8, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Verse 9, he says, God answers Abram, he says, He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now imagine for a second if you know I was making this promise to my kids, and my six-year-old says, Hey dad, how do I know that you're gonna, you know, fulfill your promises? And I said to him, Benji, I want you to go get a heifer and a ram and a turtle dove. He'd be like, uh, no, heck no, I'm out of here. Like he would, the kid would never touch water again, right? Because that doesn't make sense. But I think a little context here would help our understanding of God's response to Abram. In in the ancient Near East during this time, Abram or a great king would make treaties with lesser kings. So a great king would conquer a kingdom, and then he would enter into a covenant relationship with him. And there's, there would be a covenant-making ceremony. And that's one word that we love here at Resurrection OC is the covenant, this, this promise of God to us that he would be our God and that we would be his people. One theologian defines covenant this way. He says, a covenant is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. So this bond of these two kings coming together, the lesser king and the greater king being bound together, these two parties, they always remain in relationship. It's not a contract that can be broken. It's a covenant. There's covenant curse that comes with being unfaithful to the covenant. There's covenant blessing that comes with being obedient to the covenant. But the relationship itself is never broken. In fact, this covenant, this bond was so incredibly strong that it was a matter of life and death itself. If you look at verse 10, this is what Abram does to the pieces. He says, And he brought him all of these, and he cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what just happened right there? Abram says, God, how do I know? God says, go get me some animals. And then Abram goes and gets all these animals and he starts cutting them in half. What is this? This is, a, this is a weird way to make a promise, but this is a binding blood oath that God and Abraham are about to engage in. They take these animals and it's gruesome. It is a nasty scene. They slaughter the animals before God and Abram. Abram slaughters these animals and then he cuts them in half. And we can be reading this and just read over it real quickly, but think about how gruesome that is. That there is bone, there is smell, there are sounds, there are entrails. This is, this is a nasty scene that is unfolding before us. And then Abram takes the pieces and he lays them out side by side. But he lays them out large enough to where both parties can pass in between these, these massacred animals. This bloody mess that Abram made is a picture of this binding together. This carries the full weight of this self-maledictory oath. To say, it's essentially saying, if you break this covenant, if you abandon this relationship, may the covenant breaker be like these mangled pieces of animal on the ground that are going to rot in the sun that are going to be forgotten, that are going to be eaten by the birds. May you be like that if you break this covenant. God is binding himself to Abram. He says, you want to know how my promises are true? You want to know how you can have confidence? 
go get the animals. And Abram knows exactly what to do. Abram is in this. He is in faith walking. And he's saying, do you swear on your heart, God, that I will not perish? Do you hope to die an untimely and imminent death if you do not keep me safe, Lord? Will you stick a needle in your eye for this torturous pain if you do not fulfill these promises that we are making, that you are promising to, to me as your, as your person that you love so much? Friends, we can trust God's cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye promises. And here's why. So, Genesis 15, chapter 12. This is my favorite verse in all the scripture. I don't know if you could say that, but this is probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible. It says this, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Why would this be my favorite verse in the entire Bible? Well, to make this covenant, the two parties walk in between the pieces. The two parties, the greater and the lesser king, hold hands and they walk in between these massacred corpses of animal and say, I bind myself to you, you bind yourself to me. But here, what does Abram do? He falls asleep. He's asleep. And you need both parties to walk through. You need both parties to commit to these covenant terms. You need both parties to say, I will not break this covenant. But Abram is asleep. This passage, friends, is pouring grace all out. If you can see the grace pouring out, it is God himself that shows us that he has bound himself to us. And Abram can have true and proper confidence that this promise-keeping God will not abandon his promises. That he is the God who will bring these promises to pass. This covenant ceremony doesn't stop with Abraham sleeping. It continues. And the, the great king now enters this monologue while Abram's sleeping. And this, there's a very specific pattern to this. I won't go into it. It's beautiful. I've got a fat book if you want to read it. Um, but there's this wonderful structure that's taking place. And right here, God is entering into this kingly monologue. And he says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back in here, or back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God is saying to Abram, to him, to his offspring, that God himself is trustworthy forever. God is basically saying in this kingly monologue that Abram, you can trust my cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye promises because I'm going to fulfill this. If you look at me at verse 17, it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between. Friends, it is God himself who passes in between these pieces. As a flaming torch and as a smoking pot, God passes in between these pieces for Abram and as a representative of himself. This, this original audience, this may sound kind of weird to us, right? Like fire pot, 
smoking torch, all this stuff. It's because there's a specific audience in mind here. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, this was written for a specific people. And this was the Israelites who had just been delivered out of Egyptian captivity for 400 years. That, that God himself just said, I will deliver your people. I will deliver your inheritance, Abraham, out of captivity after 400 years. This is written to them as they're in the desert. They are being led by a pillar of cloud by day. That is God's presence, his manifestation to his people. And by night, a pillar of fire. And God is showing himself in this promise to Abram. And in his promises, all these people are sitting there doing their morning devotionals. They can see the pillar of fire turning into a pillar of cloud as it goes from day to night. As they're opening up their Bibles and they're you know, putting it on their Instagrams, oh, had a great read this morning. This is what they see as they're digging through their Old Testament. They see the promise before them and they see the promise taking place here. It's this pillar of fire. It's these two symbols that God manifests himself to his people. And in this promise to Abram, it is God himself who manifests, who takes on this covenant curse for himself. And he takes on the covenant curse for Abram as he passes through. And this is where we connect it to the Lord Jesus. In Romans 4.20, Paul writes this about Abram. He says, that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours, ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is God himself who passes through the pieces. It is God has bound himself to Abram that he says, you will be an inheritor of my promises forever and so will your children. But it wasn't just God passing through. It was God was Abraham's substitute. This is substitutionary atonement. This is Abraham saying, or God saying, Abram, you're going to break this covenant. May your, if you break this covenant, may I die. And if I break this covenant, may I die. God takes on the entire weight of this self-maledictory oath on himself for the sake of his people. Friends, we're covenant breakers. I mean, if you look at the history of humanity, Adam and Eve broke the covenant with God by eating the forbidden fruit. Noah, after he was saved in the ark, he broke the covenant by getting drunk and falling asleep naked in his living room. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all liars and manipulators, and they did terrible things in their life. David, the great king that wrote so many of the Psalms, he was an adulterer, he was lustful, and he was bloodthirsty. He broke all these covenants. In the church today, as children of Abraham, as inheritors ourselves, we are covenant breakers. Does the church, do we not have our promises, these promises that have been given to us, do we not have confidence in these sometimes? We lose confidence. Our morals fail. Our confidence falls. But it is God himself, Christian. This is the good news. That it is not you. 
It is not me who walked in between these pieces of dead animal when this bond was being made. It was God himself who walked in between these. It was God himself who takes on flesh. It was God himself, the eternal word of God, the the God-man Jesus Christ, takes on flesh and lives the life that we couldn't live. He was a perfect covenant fulfiller. He did everything perfectly. And then he takes our covenant curse. He dies on the cross. He becomes this mangled animal that was on the desert floor for us on our behalf. It is Jesus Christ himself who takes on the covenant curse for us. And now we are able to live in life forever because of what he did. And all we must do to have this applied to us is to simply believe. We believe. We turn from our own, our own kingdoms. We turn and say, Lord, I repent. I turn from my kingdom and I turn back to your kingdom. Lord, my promises, this, this promise that my great reputation or my education or my car will be my shield or this, uh, this idea that our jobs, this will be, uh, this will make our names great. It's God himself who says, I will make your name great. It's not our jobs. It's not our car. It's not our bank accounts. It's not how many friends we have or don't have or how cool of vacations we go on or whatever it may be. Our confidence comes fully from the fact that Jesus Christ passed in between these cursed animals on my behalf and on your behalf. And that is how I can know that I have full confidence but then there's the flip side of it too, where we try, where we forget, you know, the, the covenant assurances, the covenant promises. And then there are times in our lives where we know that we are covenant breakers. There are the times in our life where we know that we've done the wrong thing. We've lied, we've lusted, we've manipulated, we've stolen, we've, we've done whatever, fill in the blank for your sin for this week, for this day, for the last five minutes, fill in the blank. Do you sometimes impose a curse on yourself? Do you feel like that once you've sinned, you beat yourself up and you say, oh God, I can't even lift my eyes to heaven right now because I've done the same thing over and over and over again. And I haven't read my Bible in a week, two weeks, three weeks, Lord. The only time I ever pray is when I show up to church. Do you ever feel like you are imposing a curse on yourself and saying, Lord, I cannot even lift my eyes to heaven? Does your soul sometimes feel like these pieces of meat that were on the desert floor that the torch and the fire pot passed through? Friends, we are covenant participants of God's grace because of what He did for us. Our faith is a gift that we have been given. To have faith to believe these things are true is actually all of grace. It's nothing that you've done. It is God saying, Abram, I'm going to pull you out of your pagan lifestyle and I'm going to give you these immaculate promises. Then I'm going to give these immaculate promises to your children and they are going to grow and expand and they are going to look like the stars of the sky. And now church, that is what we do as a body of believers in Christ. That we are covenant inheritors because of what Jesus did for us. He took our covenant curse so that we can have covenant confidence. 
that God himself promised himself to Abram and now we are promised to him. He is our God and we are his people. I would encourage us to not forget our identities, to not forget that if we are covenant partakers, come tell me these truths. Come minister these truths to me. When I am down, come to me. When you are down, I will go to you. We are the church. We are the body of Jesus Christ. And we are made to encourage each other, to love each other, to spur each other on into love and good works, and to go share these covenant truths that other people can have this confidence too. We don't just keep this confidence and put it in our back pocket. It pours out of our mouth. It pours out of our actions. So church, I would encourage you this week to remember that we can trust God's cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, promises. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for passing in between those pieces. A passage that we would so easily read over sometimes. Lord, this is a gruesome scene where you have bound yourself to a covenant breaker for your glory and for our good. Lord, we thank you that you've made yourself faithful to us. We thank you that you've taken our covenant curses, that you've given us life, that, Lord, you took away all of our badness and you gave us all of your goodness. Let us remember this every day. Let us remind ourselves of the sweet gospel every five seconds, Lord, that you love us because you love us. And it's not because of what we've done, but it is because of what you have done. Lord, I pray that you encourage this church today. Let us go out and do these things. In your name, amen.